You know the vibes. BJ, Mo, once again, the Hoop Genius Podcast presented by NBA 2K22. And yesterday, if you tuned into yesterday's show, well, I hope you tuned into yesterday's show. Shout out to all the real ones who did. But I was having a great day yesterday, BJ. My Celtics were up to first place in the East. But today, I'm having the opposite of a great day. Now, on paper, I should be having a great day. The sun's out. I played some basketball in the park. You know, did a little bit of work, had a few meetings, had some nice food, and then I get a text on my phone. What what that text? What did that text say? What did that text say? Robert Williams the third, aka the Time Lord, has torn a meniscus in his left knee and is out indefinitely. And my world came crashing down. Mm. This is how I imagine the ladies feel when I text them saying I can't see them no more. My world came crashing down today, <laughs> You know, the sun just wasn't shining as bright. The food wasn't tasting as good. The, the, the freshly cut grass just wasn't smelling as sweet as it usually does. It's a bad day for me. Because here I was thinking the Celtics would storm through the Eastern Conference because they turned their season around in large part due to Robert Williams on a defensive end. And we've spoken about this with Bryce Calabrini and we've spoken about this ourselves. His position as the help defender coming across on the weak side and absolutely eviscerating any shot attempts at the rim, as well as his versatility to be switched out onto ball handlers and guard on the perimeter. It's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough for the Celtics to play without an integral piece. But it's not all doom and gloom because I read the articles. Now, I'm not a medical expert, so I don't know. But according to Adrian Wojnarowski, He's expected to be out several weeks. So the question is, can the Celtics stay afloat without him? Assuming he's out for several weeks, let's say he misses the whole first round. Can the Celtics stay afloat and get to the second round in time for him to return? Yeah, that's an easy question. Yes, the answer is without question, yes. Now, are they the same elite defensive team? Without him, the answer is no. They can stay afloat. You know, those two guys right now, I was thinking about this, you know, actually after our conversation, after the podcast yesterday, I was thinking, I was like, we're giving so much credit to their starting five, but we also can't forget about this. And I'm not big into dynamic duos and all of those things, (laughs) but Jason Tatum, Mm-hmm. And Jalen Brown right now, I think they've they've moved into the top five as a dynamic duo. They were already in the top five. Who's well, who, which I, which I, duos I, for me? Which duos? Because we had this debate on Heat Check at the start of the year. I don't know if you remember. No, at, I, at the I'm very old, start I'm of the year, we had this debate. Tell me the duos that are better than Tatum and Brown in the NBA. Because LeBron and AD don't count because AD is never on the court. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell me that's 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 not a duo that's lebron james you can't be a duo if the other guy don't show up tell me tell me the duos that are better than tame and brown or that you would take over tame and brown that's a good question i was thinking today i was i was really thinking about it after after yesterday's recording yesterday and i was thinking about it and i was like these guys are like elite. Like they're playing well together. You know what I mean? On it's both not like sides. one. That's what I'm saying. 
you, you really, I mean, you would say Katie and Kyrie when they play. I mean, Kyrie just got back being able to play and lost, but yeah, okay, that was fun. <laughs> that was a Chris fun Middleton. One. I mean, you say Giannis and Middleton, maybe you would say. Devin I'd say they're Booker they're and, a big three, not a duo. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean they are elite. I they but I was thinking about it. I was like, it starts there. Now, I think those guys can hold it down. You know, the Time Lord for sure gives them a dimension, shot blocking, and all of the things that he does for that team, which works for them. If Tice can come in there and, and plug in and he'll, he'll give him a different type of defense, meaning he will probably have to be more positioned because he's not as athletic. And go take some and charges to, and do those things. And maybe they will have to, they won't switch as much, but I still think they are a very formidable opponent. I like what they do. And I, you know, as long as those, you know, guys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are there, they can still win. Clearly, with the Time Lord in there, they are better. But you know what? We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. You know, you know, you hear coaches say this all the time. You know, next guy up or next man up. Yep. So here we go. And now, you know, we have to do that. I think it's also interesting in that, yeah, you can put in Grant Williams or you can put in Daniel Tice and still roll with the two bigs. But it might be interesting to see experimenting with some small ball lineups with just the one big. And putting Derek White into that lineup. So you have White, Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Al Horford as the lone big man and experiment how that works. Because in the playoffs, you're going to have to come up with different lineups considering different matchups that you're going to play against. So I think depending on how many weeks he's out for, that's my concern is when it says several weeks, I don't know how many weeks is several, you know? But when I read Tor Meniscus, man, I felt like I just giving a speech about Will Smith at the Oscars. It was a real oh, stop slap it. in the face. Mo, <laughs> stop it, Mo. Stop it, Mo. <laughs> I've been laughing at Mo. that all day. I've been laughing at that yes. all day. I, I, think the whole I, I still don't think it's real. I don't believe it's real. You don't I, think I, it's real? I, well, I, you sent it to me last night or, you know, yesterday for you. Or today for you. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it was like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I don't know. <laughs> it, but last night, Sunday night here in the States, as I was watching, I don't think it's real. I'm just going with that. I, I need to hear. It needs to be confirmed by those two. I did. I'm not I'm not buying. I'm not buying into. I'm just not buying into it. I'm not going to buy into it. And then. It's real. I, I, I'll I just, tell you, I watched it even in slow motion. And then I, I watched um, Chris Rock walking away after. Man, it's real. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it, it, it's okay. very strange, like yes. to be able to walk up to someone, slap them, and then turn around and walk off like nothing happened. Very strange. Salute to Chris Rock. He's a better man than me. Because if someone tries to hit me in the face like that, I'm gonna stand there and laugh it off. That's all types of crazy. But before we get sidetracked, yes. the NBA, the NBA season. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the whole world is talking about this damn Will Smith thing, and and and. Man, it's, it's just funny to me. It's it's just funny to me. But so so I was I was scrolling through online, B Day, and, and I uh, I came across this article on Bleach Report that caught my eye. It's pretty interesting because we're kind of at the end, okay. almost at the end of the regular season now. 
And it's a good time to kind of assess the moves that were made at the trade deadline. So this article from Bleacher Reports is called The Biggest Regrets of the 2022 NBA Trade Deadline. And I thought that was interesting. And so here's a few that I'm going to hit you with. And I want you to tell me if you agree or not. The first one, do you think the Houston Rockets regret keeping Eric Gordon and not cashing in for draft picks or young players? Is this my opinion or? Yeah, your opinion. opinion. Your opinion. This is just no. the headline I'm taking from them. No, I, I, I don't. And here's why I say that. You know, when you are in this league, in the NBA, and you're losing how they are losing, and you're coming into game after game with the mindset, we have no chance to win the game. You know, that's, that does something to young players. Now, on another hand, you're saying you're allowing these young players to get all this playing time and experience and all those things. That's great, but you're losing. And the one thing I don't think people really take into consideration, but at least I want to point it out. And, I, and I'm not saying, you know, like I know something no one else knows, but I, will, I want to say this. When you lose in this league, Mo, it's easily it's easy to get conditioned to lose. It becomes like a habit. You know, you come into the game, you look on the other side, and you go, we can't beat them. We can't beat them. It's like a boxer. At, at some point, you just start taking too many punches. Eric Gordon has had some success in this league which if I'm coaching or I'm the coach or I'm playing, I want to have something that I can hold on to that will give me some type of positive experience other than I'm just going to go down there and just get my, get my head beat in. Mm. And I think it's important for the coaching staff to have veterans there because believe it or not, Mo, you can listen to your coaches but it it, 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 it it hits a little different when it's coming from one of your peers, especially yeah. a, a peer who could, who's still capable of playing and performing. So I think having Eric Gordon there is much more valuable than getting another, I'll say it again, another first round pick, another, what they term another asset. One. I, another yeah, one. Yeah, you know, I can't, bl- you know, I don't, you know, th- that term an asset. You're going to turn into OKC then. I can't I I can't condone that because Mo when you see young players you don't how many times have you seen a young player lose and then it turns around for no unless they unless they demand a trade to somewhere that's winning exactly (laughs) exactly so I think once you do that and once the young player sees that they become skewed on how this league really works Mm. So I'm not saying you can win every game, but you got to try to win every game. That has to be the formula. And to me, having people like Eric Gordon around, I think it's valuable. I think it's valuable to have veterans around who can help answer some of the questions that coaches and people who aren't in that inner circle can help answer. And I think he is very valuable to that franchise. Especially at the guard position, because they've got a bunch of young guards. So it's interesting here, it's reported that 
there was an offer for Joe Ingles and a first round pick in exchange for Aaron Gordon, because I feel like the Utah Jazz could really use that help. So I think maybe Utah regret that trade not happening more than the Houston Rockets do. Houston Rockets were yeah. going to be at the bottom of the West anyway. But Eric Gordon right now would help the Utah Jazz, I think, on, on both sides of the floor. Yeah, some but depth I, can the see, I can see the coaching staff of the Utah Jazz rejecting that trade. And here's why. Because you can't get Eric Gordon and not play him. Mm. And you already have Jordan Clarkson there. Okay, see, but, a lot of times when I see these trades, but maybe, I see these maybe, trades, yes, go ahead. They go for your theory and put Donovan Mitchell at the one and then Eric Gordon at the two. And that way you can still bring Jordan Clarkson off the bench. I agree, but they have yet in what three years now or two years, they haven't put um, it feels Mike like forever Conley on the bench. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't see them doing that at this point. Yeah, okay. So another one on this article. Do you think the Brooklyn Nets regret not getting a third team involved in the James Harden slash Ben Simmons drama spectacle or whatever it was called? Given that Ben Simmons is still yet to play for the Nets and he's reportedly having an epidural. I thought that's what pregnant ladies have. An epidural to fix the herniated disc in his back to try and play this season. Do you think they regret not getting a third team involved so they could have got someone like a CJ McCollum and Norman Powell from the Portland Trailblazers or a Tyrese Halliburton from the Sacramento Kings? No, I, I don't think they regret that. I think what they do have concern about is the following. When that trade was made, okay, between Brooklyn and... Philadelphia. I think there was a, an understanding that Ben Simmons was healthy and was not playing because he just wanted to force his way out of Philadelphia. I firmly think, and I, I can't confirm this, nor do I, you know, it's, it's no way for me to confirm it, but there has to be, a, there had to be an understanding because say what you want to, James Harden was at least playing. Yeah. May not have been happy, may not have been of ideal situation. He may have very well left, as we found out in all of those things. But at least he was playing. And yeah. I firmly believe that when the executives were discussing this, that there was an understanding that Ben Simmons once he did, once his demands were met, he would be able to play in a short amount of time, provided he will need some time to get back and get back in shape. Now, all of a sudden, we're finding out that he has a, a serious, serious back injury. Mm -hmm. Now, that to me, this, that throws a wrinkle in all of this. Because when you're making a trade, what's the first thing you do? The first thing you do is say, okay, the trade will, will not happen until both players or multiple players pass the physical exam. Mm -hmm. Okay? So to me, this throws a wrinkle in it to like, okay, what's going on here? Because who knew about his back issues? How long have they been? 
lingering around. It's not like it's not like he's been playing and this just kind of it just, you know, got worse as the season going on. He hasn't played. Yeah. So think about it, Mo. He hasn't played, and suddenly the first week or so he's back playing, he's out for maybe the remainder of the season. That to me is the part that we really need to be looking at because I think I think we all kind of, you know, at least assume that he was healthy. It was just a matter of yeah, because he's been chilling at home for the whole what nine months or however long it was. Yes. So Man. to me, that's the that to me that's what throws a wrinkle in all of this. And that's that's a it's a very interesting situation because I don't know whether he had the injury or whether he got the injury in practice or whether the the injury was caused because he was so used to not doing anything that when you dive right back in the deep end, maybe the injury starts to flare up. You know what I'm saying? You know what I would really like to, you know what I would really, the, one of the things that I, one of the things, Mo, that really helped me become a better scout was being able to communicate and talk with in detail with your medical staff. Mm. I, I really, really would love to see who he shared his medicals with. Mm, especially because it wouldn't have been the team doctors from Philly. I don't think he would have had his private doctors. Well, but he had his private doctors. But the thing is, is look, look, I don't know. Again, I'm just, as I'm just, as you know, you, you see things like Mo, for instance, when you're drafting a player, you may love this player. He fits everything about your culture. You may see all of these things, but your medical staff will see something and they'll say something to the following. This player may be 21 years of age, but his medical shows he's really about 30 years old. Yep. That's it's so interesting on the risks because you see it pay off. Yes. Sometimes it goes wrongly wrong, but sometimes it does pay off. It goes, it, it, you'll see some, you know, you're so you're scouting. And the first thing I start looking at is like movements. It really helps you become a because you begin to see these things. And then Mo. The, the interesting thing now about scouting now, Mo, is because these players, especially here in America, they play so many games when they're young and they're, you know, they, these kids are probably playing 80 to 100 games or more in the AU and high school and all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at their medicals, even though they are young, 18, 19, 20 years old when they come into this league, their bodies are really like you, you can, you know, I, I remember I can I vividly remember the doctor saying, BJ, how old is this player? And I was like, 20 years old, because they don't know who the player is, because so they can have a yeah, just, yeah. So it's not biased and it's not got anything, yeah, it's, 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 so all it's just, it just subjective. Yes. They were like, Normally, I would see this in like an a eight, nine-year veteran. This is how an eight, a nine-year veteran knees will look. That's crazy. And you're like, yeah, no, it's a mo. It's it's a it's a serious thing. Like you can't deny this. This isn't like, and, and I don't know anything. Again, I want to make sure I don't know anything about the medical. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but for, but for example, be interesting for, to be for the people at home, it's like someone like a Greg Oden, for example, a supreme talent, and all this stuff that came in, but medically. 
you saw the outcome of what happened with that situation and it was a risk for them to take him. Yes. Yes. And you, and, and now the technology and the medicals are so good, Mo. They're so good that they're able to not predict, but they're able to, with, with reason and logic and the science behind it, say this player will probably within the next three to five years, we think this could happen or yeah. this would. And that's what you're starting to see now, Mo. And, and now what I would say, I would be interested to see his medical when he first came into the league. Because Mo, this is, this is very, very unusual. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're young, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, so, but it may have been something that was there. Well, it may have been something who knows what it was, but again, Mo, I think that is the risk. And I think that is the concern here is that I think everyone, myself included, was saying he wasn't playing in Philly because he didn't want to be there. Yeah, I certainly didn't see this one coming. This one is one I'm like, okay, because Mo, when you start messing with the backs Mm -hmm. and he's not a small man, he's a big man. Seven foot. I mean, he's every bit. He's every bit of six ten. Every he's, bit. He's seven foot. Let, let's just. Yeah, he's so, a seven foot tall. <laughs> so, yeah. He's seven. So foot. I'm a little concerned, and concerned enough to say he may miss this entire season. And then what will that mean to next season? Mm-hmm. And so you know, hopefully he comes back. But I didn't see this one coming. So you know the rest of the article goes on to say the Lakers and the Knicks. Yeah, they both regret doing nothing to trade deadline. But I just want to actually talk about this point that you just mentioned with kind of the medical red flags and another player in Philly that did have these medical red flags. But it, the gamble of picking him so high in the draft has paid off in Joel Embiid because it was always you know he missed his first three seasons and it was like if he can get healthy, we're going to win a championship. And this season. Mm-hmm. To his credit, he has been healthy the whole way through. But they played the Clippers the other night. I don't know if you saw the game. It was last week. They were on the road playing against mm-hmm. the Clippers. And after the game, mm-hmm. Ty Lue came out and said, Embiid's number one in the league at the free throw line, and James Harden is number three. You take away those free throws, and neither one of those guys would be top 10 in scoring. Which I thought is a, f- a fair enough comment to make. Like, I get you're a bit salty that you lost the game, but it's not wrong what he said. And then our friend Daryl Morey hopped onto Twitter to tweet the LA Clippers offense would rank 30th without free throws. Say it with me again. Players are fouled because the other team cannot stop them. I wanted to get your take on this situation because whilst Embiid and Harden do get fouled a lot, they do do a great job of selling the fouls. And arguably sometimes they are more interested in trying to get fouled than they are in actually making the bucket. Does that make sense? Yes. So what's your take on the Sixers having these two premier um, free throw drawing players on their team? I'm going to take a basketball perspective here. Yeah. As we all know, Mo, I think we all can agree. Whether you're an executive, general manager, a head coach, player, the game is much more physical once the playoffs begin. Yeah the referees would prefer to allow the players to dictate who's going to win or lose that game. Yeah. So they tend to allow the game to be a little bit more physical, as long as it doesn't give the other team an advantage. Mm -hmm. The thing I will say about this 
is the following. Players adjust. And the point I want to make here, especially when it comes to getting fouled, there's a way you have to play the game. And when you play defense, okay, and if you are a physical defensive team or a physical defensive player, the referees will say, that's just how Mo plays. Yeah. And they will call the game accordingly. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm concerned with Philadelphia. I'm concerned because Philadelphia is playing the game, in particular, James Harden, just in particular with him, not so much with Joel. I understand why Joel's getting fouled, but James Harden is going to the basket looking for the foul. Yes. Okay. And the game today, if I look at the game two or three years ago, just two or three years ago, the offensive players now are more physical than the defensive players. Yep. Hooking the arms as they get into the paint and all that kind of stuff. Offensive players are more physical now than the defensive players, which gave the offensive players a significant advantage. You can ask any player in the NBA whether or not that statement is true. And privately, they will all tell you that is true. They will all tell you. They may not say it on air, but we're going to say it here. The offensive players, just two or three years ago, they were more physical than the defensive players. They were initiating the contact. They, they knew how to hook their, they, yep, you know, they this the arm now and- where they, where they bring the ball low and they swoop it through. Look, they're just, that's James Harden's you, signature. Okay. You know, you, 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 listen, it is what it is. Chris Paul, that move that Chris, Chris Paul, the, like through move, that move, the, the Chris Paul rip through. through. Okay. Yeah. You will see guys, you know, we saw a fight. I remember the game. I was at the game. It was the Lakers versus the, the Rockets. Rockets. Yes. And, Mm-hmm. James Harden just he just plowed over uh Brandon Ingram. He just mm-hmm. just random he just ran him over. Brandon Ingram didn't like it. You get into a fight and all of a sudden the offensive Rondo players now are yeah, Rondo, the offensive players are more physical. I think now what the rules committee has done is they've kind of cleaned that up a little bit and they're not calling as many fouls as they once did which to me is affecting probably more than any player right now in the league, James Harden. Yes. He's probably been affected more than any other player because they're trying to clean that part of the game up. Yeah. It needs to be cleaned up. I understand what I understand what Ty Lue is saying. Easier said than done. And the only reason I'm saying this is because when I watch Brooklyn play against James Harden, they it wasn't an accident. If you watch that game, I went back and watched it twice. The initial defender never swiped down at the ball when James Harden drove to the back. Because they all been in practice with him. They, he, the, he's they waiting he's for you to swipe down and he comes through and he gets the contact and it's a foul. If you watch the game, the initial defender just kept his hands up and then the secondary defender would block the shot. And they did that consistently throughout the game. And I think they were trying to share 
or they know something that the rest of the league doesn't know. Okay. Mm. And that's what I saw. It wasn't an accident. Whoever's guarding James, just keep your hands up. We will block the shot with the other guy because right now, James, he's looking for a body. I watched him yesterday. He was just driving to the basket looking for a body. And do I think CP3 knows that? I think CP3 knows it too. Yeah. And what you're starting to see is this is kind of going around the league. Look, at some point, James is going to have to adjust. Because now we know this, and I understand it. Now, from the analytics, look, James, and that gives him an advantage. Why? Because you want, you want to get to the free throw line because it's harder to score against a set defense. So I think these but, coaches... But also in the playoffs, you're, you're not going to get to the free throw line like that. In the playoffs, no, we wonder why it doesn't work out for them. You can't rely on free throws. That's what I mean when I said uh, the original question is looking for the co- you should look to finish the bucket. You can't rather than and, look and I concept. know this. And I know this. When you play against James Harden, whether he was the James Harden in Houston or the James Harden that's now. It's very, very tough to score as you advance. These teams are really good defensively, Mo. Mm. And James Harden is going to have to score in three or less dribbles. Well, he spends four of them going between his legs. So it's going to be interesting. That's what KD does a great job of. One or two dribbles, pull up, cash. Mo, you have to be able to do this. Why? Because these defenses are so good. And, And this, and Mo, this isn't me talking. Yes, I am saying the words, but Mo, I've confirmed with coaches who've played against him, head coaches, saying this is what we want James Harden to do. Why? Because if he goes into his dribbling thing, it gives the defense an opportunity to set up and do what they want to do. And that's similar to what I was saying about the Knicks with Julius Randle, when the ball sticks in his hand, the defense can load up. But but in the end, Tyloo had the last laugh, going back to, you know, his conversation with Daryl Morey because Tyloo says the last time Daryl Morey tweeted he cost the NBA a billion dollars so Tyloo with a nice little jab <laughs> there that's a pretty funny one <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty funny one just right there man. It's coach be- is now on social media okay yeah it's, it's hey, coach is an executive. <laughs> well no Tyloo was saying all this in a press conference that's why he's saying I don't know why right. Daryl Morey's tweeting but man I, I think it's I think it's crazy I, again playoffs are almost here it's going to be interesting to see if Harden changes the way he plays and kind of, I don't know if sacrifices his game a little bit. No, I, I think, um, well, I think he had, listen, there's levels to this. There's regular season basketball, there's postseason basketball, and there's championship level. Every time you advance, Mo, the defense is going to take away something. The defense in the semifinals is going to be better than the, 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 the your first round opponent. The conference finals are going to be better. And when you get to the NBA finals, you're playing against the very best of the best. And Mm -hmm. Mo, as these defenses get better and better, they take away options. James Harden, who is an elite offensive talent, has to make an adjustment in his game when he plays against elite individual defenders and team defense. Yeah. That's a that's just a fact. This isn't he's gonna have to make some adjustment 
to be able to play against elite because elite defensive teams and elite defensive players are going to take away something. You don't stop them. You just take it away. And that is the issue because you know what's bothering me, Mo, in watching Philadelphia, in particular James Harden? He doesn't put an imprint on the game. Interesting. When he starts playing against the best teams. Because the best teams take away something. But he has to find a way, and there's that key word, find a way to make his presence felt during the game. And you don't have to do it just by scoring. Mo, you don't have to do it just by scoring. Find a way to impact the game because he's not impacting the game playing the way he's playing currently at the elite level. Mo, we're talking about winning the NBA championship. Yeah, we ain't, we ain't talking about just winning a regular season game. Season. This is yes. winning, going because that's what Philly have done, gone all in. We're talking right now, at this stage of the season, we're talking about winning it all. Not can you win next Wednesday evening in Oklahoma City. Okay, James Harden will come out and put up 35 points. I don't care. We're talking about winning the championship. Right. But one thing, one thing I do, one thing I do find hilarious, completely different topic. We had a tweet come in. <laughs> We had a tweet come in from our good friend Missy. Shout out to Missy B. And she says that she likes to play a drinking game whilst listening to this podcast, BJ. And do you know, <laughs> do you know what the game is? What's she drinking? Gatorade? Uh, that's Gatorade? exactly what she said. <laughs> but Gatorade don't sponsor the show, so she can drink any drink of her choice. Gatorade, pick up the phone if you want us to advertise. But she Uh-oh. says, every time BJ Armstrong says Mo, I take a sip of my drink. And I never noticed this until today. And just listening to you then, I've been a bit quiet today. I was just listening out to see. Okay. And so you guys at home, I want you to get involved, play this drink game. Let me know how it goes for you. Let me know how it ends up. But that's been another episode of the Hoop Genius Podcast presented oh. by NBA 2K22. We'll be back tomorrow again, as always on Wednesdays. Well, it's MVP time because there's only two more MVP episodes left for this season. BJ, better come correct with your facts because we're going to have to settle this debate once and for all. We're going to give our takes on the MVP and a few other races on tomorrow's episode. But for the meantime, make sure you subscribe, share this podcast with a friend, and as always, thank you for listening. Get buckets. <laughs>